everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, before we go any further, I just want to pause and stop and say the happiest of Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. If you're a mom and you're listening, happy Mother's Day. I hope you had a great day. I hope you were spoiled. I hope you had all sorts of attention showered on you. I hope you felt honored and loved. And we're just so grateful that you are who you are. And we're just grateful that we uh, we know you. You know, Mother's Day often brings up all sorts of... Um, all sorts of kind of reflection as we kind of reflect on our own moms, our own families of origin. And it drives home the point, which is, I think, of an, a very important point, that our parents' stories absolutely affect us. Um, our mom's stories absolutely affect us. And that's just the way things work. Now, for a lot of people, that's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. You probably have fantastic memories of your mom. But for other people in our church, I know that the stories aren't so great. And sometimes it's almost like a negative example, like I had such a bad experience, I'm going to do the opposite. But regardless, the question of legacy, who we are and what kind of legacy we're leaving is a really important question. And that's what we're looking at this week. As we look at the topic of wisdom, we're in week three of our sermon series called The Wise Life. And this is kind of the second question we're looking at. And that's the question of legacy. What kind of legacy am I leaving? If we want to be wise people, we actually have to start kind of with the end in mind. We have to start thinking about what kind of legacy we're leaving. That's what we're diving in with. I've got Jay Kim with me. We're going to be looking at this question. And so with that, Let's dive right in. Hey, everybody, welcome to the afterword here with Jay Kim. Jay, hello. Hey. Okay, so first of all, I, I just got to ask you. This past weekend was Mother's Day. Yes. Uh, what I I, I got to ask you. Uh, what was the mother son dance song that you had at your wedding with your mom? Because I mean, that's you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Here's what's crazy. Yeah, my mom did not want to do a mother son dance. Really. Yeah, not because she doesn't love me, but she was really embarrassed and didn't want to dance. Oh, yeah. So didn't want to be pushy. Yeah. So uh, we didn't. Yeah, I mean, you know? that's fine. That's fine. It's one of life's deep regrets, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, you, uh, do you have a favorite Mother's Day, uh, a, a song uh, that you, you think of when you, when you hear it that reminds you of your mom? Yeah, yeah Dear Mama by Tupac. <laughs> I would play I, mean, a I would play a clip of that, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> that the greatest Mother's Day song of it, all time. It's pretty up there. It's pretty up there. Uh, I don't think go listen to it on Spotify right now. I <laughs> I sort of kid. It's quite. It's, it's very just, poignant. It's very, dark. it's very dark. Yeah. Um. Another good Mama's Day song is is this one. Mama, Mama, oh, good. You know. Oh. All right. Well, anyway, we're here talking about uh, legacy. This week, we talked about the second of five questions that we've been going through to kind of make better decisions and fewer regrets. And the second question, um, the first one last week was a doozy. Am I being honest with myself? Really? We talked about self-deception. But this one is actually a little bit um, also difficult, and that's the legacy question. And that's kind of the question is, is this decision going to be the kind of um, it's going to lead to the kind of story that I want to tell. 
Um, right. And what kind of story do I want to tell? Um, just as you looked at this, um, what what kind of jumped out at you when you first when you first started thinking about legacy? Like, what came to mind to you about this kind of thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, just. I think when you think about legacy for most people, you probably think about the legacy you inherited. And I, I shared some of my story uh, on Sunday in the teaching. So, I, you know, my mind immediately goes to uh, the, the interesting juxtaposition between my mother and my father, which I talked about on Sunday. Right. Uh, and the very different legacies they left me, which yeah. I think is a very helpful for me. It's been a helpful uh, paradigm you know, to, to have experienced and to still experience very different legacies from my two parents. Um, yeah, again, for me, it's been really helpful because it presents a very clear delineating line between the choices that are before me. Right. Uh, with the decisions I make. Um, and you're and you know, for those who maybe didn't hear it or don't know your, your father left a legacy kind of of absence and yes. your mother left the legacy of not only presence, but also just this deep, robust Christian faith, self-sacrificing love, um, all those yeah. kinds of those things. And you saw like two parents make two different legacy decisions. Right. Yeah. yeah. And two different legacy decisions for very different reasons. You know, we, we use that Andy, Quint, uh, Andy Stanley idea from the book about, you know, if you want to make, if you want to live a wise life and uh, make wise choices in your life and to build a life that's you know worthwhile, then when you have a decision in front of you, instead of thinking options, think story. Yeah. You know, I, I, I find that really helpful. So rather than what's the easiest option or the simplest option or the best option, uh, instead ask, you know, five months from now, five years from now, five decades from now, Mm-hmm. You know, what sort of story do I want my life to tell? And um, through that lens, what's the decision I should make? What will lead to the best story or, or potentially the best story? And I think my dad uh, probably lived most of his life just asking the question, what's my best option right, right now? Yeah. What's the easiest thing to do? What's the most you know, immediately gratifying or enjoyable or pleasurable or comfortable thing to do. And my mom, I think it's not that she never asked that question. I'm, I'm sure she did, but you know, over the course of my 40 years of being her son, I can say that I think most of the time she was making hard choices um, because she was thinking along the lines of what sort of story do I want my life to tell? And in particular, what sort of story do I want my life to tell my son? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it had lots of opportunities, I think, to do the easy thing. I mean, time and time again. But, you know, her track record is like <laughs> hard decision after hard decision because she felt like it was the right thing to do in terms of uh, my future and yeah. the future of our family. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with a guy named Robert McKee? He's a famous uh, Hollywood screenwriter and a famous like professor of story. Um, okay. So he wrote a book called Story. He's he's kind of a famous um, script writer in Hollywood, kind of legendary. He's he, he's worked with an, a number of things. And one of the things that's kind of fascinating is as he talks about story, he says that 
uh, America is losing the ability to tell good stories because we're oh. so self-focused and all the great mm. stories involve self-sacrifice <laughs> and a higher, a higher, uh, something transcendent, you know, and a guide yeah. and a guide or somebody to help you through that. It's very self-sacrificial. It's very, the goal is transcendent. And it's, it's just, you know, I want to buy the newest Audi is not a good story, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that, as we were, you know, just talking about this, it, it, I wonder if the self-centeredness and materialism of our current culture, which is this giant wave, right? It's this giant kind of tsunami of, of money and wealth and, and consumerism. If that's not killing our ability to tell good stories, because again, all people think about is the options right in front of them instead of. The, uh, uh, the much bigger story, like it finding yourself in a much bigger story. Um, I was also thinking, and maybe there's some cultural waves that are making it difficult for people to even consider what it means to live a good story. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we see it in, uh, this is a story we didn't get into, but there's the story of the rich young ruler. Ah, uh, yes. Gospel, yeah. You know, and this man of great wealth comes to Jesus, asks him, you know, basically says like, I'm a good guy. I've done all the right things. What, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you know, give, give a bunch of your stuff away. And he can't do it, you know, and he's sad. And, uh, and he walks, I away. don't think the more he walks away. Yeah. Yeah. The more, I don't think the moral of that story is, um, don't have wealth. You know, the moral of that story is, uh, you know, we, we cling, I mean, there's lots of things there, but I think we cling to, um, the best options. We have a tendency, a proclivity to hanging on to the best options for a variety of reasons, you know, um, self-preservation is probably one of them. Yeah. Uh, comfort, convenience, you know, the easy life, but yeah, to your point, I think sometimes the easy life and the wise life, sometimes they can coexist, but sometimes we have to make these hard decisions where the wise thing to do is often not the easy thing to do. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that as a, a judgment on anybody. It's self-indictment, really. I, I struggle with, with it too, because, you know, let's just be honest. I mean, we live in a really comfortable, affluent society. Yeah. In particular, kind of where we live, you know, and uh, I'm not saying everybody listening to this is super comfortable. You know, there are people in our church, you know, and certainly lots of people in our city who maybe don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And that's a different story. You know, that's not we're not talking about that. We're not saying like, right, you're just barely scraping by. and You should just give it all away. And, you know, it's not you know, it's it's not prescriptive in that way it's not that everybody should get 50 percent of their belongings away but it does pose the question um how how tightly are we clinging on to the stuff that offers us comfort and convenience and ease and yeah is that keeping us is are those things in any way keeping us from uh living wisely you know are they are they um moving us to toward foolishness and folly you know i think oftentimes mm-hmm. uh those things go hand in hand yeah you know the desire for them and ease sometimes go hand in hand with you know foolish decisions so I, I just i think we have to be mindful of those things and uh and live aware 
It reminds me, one of the best-selling books of all time is a book by Stephen A. Covey called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful yeah. People. Have you heard of that book? You know, you probably have it on your bookshelf. Uh, it's, yeah. it's quite old. Uh, but I think habit number two is begin with the end in mind, which I yeah. think is is similar to this question. It's like, uh, yeah. what? how am I going to end? It, it, it reminds me of a an exercise one of my spiritual mentors had me do, which was write my own, you know, funeral uh, epitaph, you know, kind of thing. Like, what do you want said at your funeral? Which is really yeah. dark, but I was like 20. <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, I don't, I'm like, uh, um, and then I don't know. I don't, I didn't know what to say, you know? Um, yeah. but that gets us into uh, something else that I don't think we got into in the, in the message that we, we didn't have time for. Uh, and that's, um, there's a woman named, or is it Bronnie rare? Bronnie yeah. where is that, is that how Bonnie where? Yeah. It's Bonnie, right? Bronnie. It is Bronnie. Oh, it's Bronnie. Bronnie. And yeah. there was a book that she wrote called the top five regrets of the dying. Yeah. And, um, and so I just thought I'd go through this top five regrets and just, because I think that they're kind of interesting because they help us think about the legacy, right? They think about the, uh, the end in mind. Right. So uh, in no particular order, uh, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish Mm -hmm. I hadn't worked so hard. I wish Mm -hmm. I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Mm -hmm. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And I wish that I had let myself be happier. Uh, As you think about those, how how do you think that they can inform... um, you know, the Christian way to, to live. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting as I've looked at these, um, I, I think a few of them are really helpful and I think a few of them are actually not that helpful. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was um, looking at these going, so like, for example, yeah. you know, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I mean, I, I might be, you know, <laughs> I might be like, uh, this might be a whole other conversation and I might offend some folks, but if you go back to week one of this series about being honest with ourselves, um, this whole concept of being true to myself is a pretty modern Western, um, idea. Yeah. You know, I, in some ways I don't really even quite know what true to myself means other than her juxtaposition, you know, not the life others expected of me. I, I, I think, I think it's more helpful if you unpack that a little bit more as a follower of Jesus. I think the way we would probably say it is, I wish I'd had the courage to live um, the life that, you know, God maybe intended for me to live. Or, right. Like the, you know, um, and then the last one, I, I wish I'd let myself be, happier Mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about joy here you know which is a little different than uh just you know sort of like surface level happiness um i think to summarize all of these concepts though for me you know these again the top five regrets of the dying uh what's interesting to me is like it's all couched in the language of longing you know it's yeah and, and, and this part, I think, is really helpful. None of the five have anything to do with uh, the stuff that most of us sort of spend our waking hours slaving over. You know, nobody regrets not having bought 
you know, that dream car or having had a few more square feet in the house right. or right. an extra degree or another award or more in the bank account or, you know, any of those things. Yeah. Um, but when we talk about making the easy choice or the comfortable choice, you know, um, choosing the the simplest option or, or the option that brings the most immediate gratification, typically those things are wrapped up in, in the stuff that nobody, nobody thinks about when they're dying, <laughs> you right. know, it's, yeah. it's usually, um, these are all, this is all the language of story. It's essentially saying, I wish I had, I had lived and experienced a different type of story. Right. You know? Yeah. And, well, and what's really interesting is their regrets because they're all things that, you know, it was all well within your power yeah. to have lived this life. You know, if you had just, sort of lived with the end in mind, like you said. It, it does look like, and again, Bonnie Rare was a, I think she was a palliative nurse. So she like literally yeah. was there when people died and a, a lot. And so she kind of yeah. compiled this as a kind of a list. But those middle three, uh, I wish I hadn't worked so hard is about, maybe I didn't prioritize the right things. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. That's relational. And I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. That's relational as well. So there's yeah. some some relational edges to this. Um, that obviously are, are, are really rich and true. I think, you know, at the end yeah. <laughs> that, that, uh, you're probably left with relationship. I wonder if we also view this more acutely because we're both parents, <laughs> you yeah, know, right. I like, I think about this stuff like all the time, you know, mm. like, what did that do today? Um, did I mess that up today? Did I, did I, did I do that right? Am I leaving a a legacy here um, that my, my kids are going to remember, you know, those kinds of things. So yeah. it's also when you're a parent of, you know, up and coming children or for you, you know, more elementary school for me, more high school. Uh, I think that maybe that's, that's something I think about like all the time, you know? So yeah. um, I'm, I, I wonder if it's different for folks who are younger or older than, or you know, kids out of the house or don't have kids yet. I, I, I don't know, but I think all of us can kind of relate to this. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's good. Um, so as you as you also think about this, uh, one of the things we talked about was Nehemiah and his courage. Um, we could have yeah. we could have chosen a dozen stories. I mean, there's yeah. lots of examples of people who are awakened, um, just like Nehemiah was awakened to something bigger, uh, to God's mm -hmm. story in the world. They make a very courageous or brave decision. I mean, we could have chosen Daniel or. Ruth or, you know, Naomi, dozens of people, right? Um, any of the apostles who chose to follow yeah. Jesus? I mean, uh, right? But um, one of the things that is is interesting in that is that Nehemiah is awakened, but then one of the first thing he does is, is confess and repent. Um, yeah. There's a deep sorrow in kind of realizing where his people and even him have, have kind of gone off course. And then, of course, he asked for God's help. Um, part of me is just like, how do you, <laughs> one, if that's part of what it means to to live a better legacy is to can confess and repent, that's probably a, a means a hard look. So it kind of ties back to week one, you know, being yeah. honest about the life that you're actually living. Uh, like, yeah. how do you help people like, or, or even now, as people are listening, is, is there like, how, how do you measure, like, am I doing okay at this? And then number two, if I have a sense I'm not, how do you move forward, you know, in, into into that? 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, I mean, as it pertains to confession and repentance, we've talked about this here before. You know, repentance is not sort of like a trite, hey, I'm sorry, I did a bad thing. <laughs> right. Repentance is uh, a turning around from a particular direction or a particular habit or practice or, uh, a, you know, trajectory in your life or whatever. And to do that, you know, um, recognition, acknowledgement that the direction you're headed in, the decisions you're making, um, the habits that you're inhabiting with your life, uh, it begins with a recognition, an admission, an acknowledgement that those things are ungodly, they're um, destructive to you as a human being, and, and, and they're not within God's plan for his glory and for our good. So it's really humbling, but I don't actually think, you know, any person who wants to maybe, let's say, leave a better legacy for generations to come than the legacy maybe you inherited from previous generations, if that is your desire, and I think that's probably the desire for most of us, if not all of us, then a part of that process is like what Nehemiah does. You know, he confesses and repents um, on behalf of the people of God. And then on like personally too, you know, that, that's one of the things that's really fascinating about that whole confession to me. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites. So that's corporate, including me. <laughs> yeah, so that's personal and my father's house, you know, yeah. have yeah. committed against you. And um, I just, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm convinced that that's the beginning of the process of change. If, if we want to change a story, change a legacy, um, if we want to change our own lives, it's impossible without acknowledging what needs to be changed, uh, confessing that to God, and then repenting of it, which is, you know, again, not just, hey, I'm really sorry, but you know, I'm committing God to turning around from this, turning away from this and beginning to move toward you. So a really practical way, I think, again, if we want to live the wise life and live with legacy in mind, you know, maybe taking an inventory of your life, like you just said, which takes time, you know, um, but taking an inventory of your life and asking that question, uh, are there areas in my life? Are there habits and practices? Um, are there uh, sins of commission and omission, which is kind of a you know Dallas Willard idea, this fancy way of saying sins that I'm actively committing and sort of a sinful behavior in my life because I am actually not actively participating in certain ways. You know, for example, if I'm a negligent father and I go home every day, and I spend no time with my kids and I just kind of lay down on my bed and scroll social media, I'm not actually actively doing something to harm my That's kids. That's a sin of omission, my, right. But my lack of activity yeah. and participation in their life yeah. is a sin, it's sinful, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I don't know, taking an inventory of those things in our lives, it's really humbling to even like take a pen and paper and literally write down like, God, what are some habitual practices or non-practices in my life that I need to repent from, yeah. you know, repent of yeah. uh, and confess to you 
and then, you know, really, truly repent, turn around yeah. and, and make a different decision. Um, that's a, that's a really helpful for me. It's a really helpful, practical, hard, but accessible way of uh, beginning the process of trying to make decisions based on the story or the legacy I'm leaving behind rather than just my best option that's right in front of me. Like one, again, you know, I talk about my kids when I go home every day after a long day, you know, in the office or whatever, most days I um, will pull up to my driveway and I'm pretty exhausted. This is actually true. I actually do this most days because I have to muster the energy to walk into my house and play with a seven-year-old and three-year-old who's like so active and, you know, they like, they don't really want me to sit on the couch and turn on TV and, you know, like just, they don't, they, they don't need that from me, even though everything in my body says that's what I would like to do. Like, I just want to veg out. I'm so tired. So usually most days I have to pull up to my driveway and just as I'm, you know, kind of getting out of the car, I'll just quietly in my mind, um, pray a quick prayer, like, Lord, you know, give me the wherewithal and the discipline and the energy and the joy to give, you know, Jenny and our kids sort of what they need from me, you know, as a dad right now. And uh, some, some days are great. And some days I still fail, even though I prayed that prayer, but most days I pray that prayer when I'm walking into the house. Yeah. Um, and, and that prayer I would say is like, it is in, in some ways it's an act of repentance, you know, particularly if I, I haven't maybe been the most present dad, you know, um, it is an act of repentance. It's yeah. like, Lord, I'm, I'm committing my best to not being that, you know? And, yeah. uh, um, so I don't know. I, I think well, taking an inventory of our lives is, is a helpful practice on my side, just so you know, what's coming for you down the pike. Uh, my son <laughs> wants to, uh, he'll come home from work and he'll, he'll, he'll be, it's like 10 30 at night. He's like all wired up. Cause he's a teenager. He's like, yeah. Hey dad, you want to talk? And he'll start sharing. And I'm like, it's 10 30 at night, son. I have to yeah. get up in the morning. And I, I did that like two or three times. And I noticed he stopped his excitement. And then I was uh, like, Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. So now I like, I come, I'm like, all right, if I have to stay up to midnight, I stay up to midnight. So I'm like, tell me more, tell me more. And we just talk. And that's when he's alive unfortunately from 10 30 at night to 12 30 <laughs> and i'm like what is happening so that's uh, intense, it's it, it is intense but that's when he wants to talk that's when you know he's awake teenagers are different you know it reminds me yeah. what you were talking about in terms of legacy you know, we've talked about this a lot and before and i think it's from john mark comer up in portland the transformation triangle that we talk about uh -huh. the, you know the the idea that um the things that shape calls it the it's his working theory of change yes yeah and the idea is that there's three points on the triangle that shape human beings are the stories yeah. we believe the relationships we're in and then our what we do our habits and yeah. if you change those three things they can change your legacy if you inhabit yeah. a better story start wanting to tell a better story find yourself in a better story like the bible right. the scriptures and then christian community if you're around other people who are going after that who inspire you to be like that and then of course your, right. your habits the private thing like you said whispering a prayer uh, before you go into the house all the way from the morning when you wake up and what kind of habits do you do um all those yeah. things that transformation triangle really um for lack of a better word and to forgive the bad pun, it gave legs, <laughs> the leg, it, it gave legs to uh, an idea of what it means to change and leave a better legacy. 
Um, yeah. I think that that helps. That helps. No, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and it, it's, again, something like that is helpful because it's a way of uh, gaining perspective. Yeah. And I just yeah. think, I don't know, in my own life, I know that if I'm not, if I don't give real focused energy toward living with perspective, my natural inclination is to just lean into again the the easiest most comfortable yeah drifting uh, yeah drifting. Yeah, yeah decision that's like right in front of me sure, sure you know sure. uh going to the gym is a great example of this like anybody who is is like you know really disciplined and militant about going to the gym um there are many days probably most days where something in your body is like, ah, don't go just skip a day, you know? Yeah. Cause it's just way easier. It's way more comfortable to not. Um, but the most disciplined people who are the, who are the healthiest physically really uh, they push through that because again, they're thinking not what's my most comfortable, easiest option right now. Cause the easiest option would be to just stay at home and, eat chocolate cake or whatever, you know, that sounds uh, good. they're thinking, yeah, they're, what, yeah what kind of chocolate cake? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're thinking big picture story, you know, like yeah. for them yeah. developing sort of like long-term physical health. But um, I think every decision in life poses those types of challenges. Yeah. There's the easy immediate gratification choice always, it's always available. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't lead to a life of wisdom. It doesn't lead to uh story worth telling yeah with your life well jay thanks for uh, talking through that and um i I just i think it's pretty cool um just even as i was listening to your story talking about your absent dad um you know i Mm -hmm. i remember last uh memorial day we were at a a kind of a picnic and simon was a little bit younger uh, and uh he was a little bit younger and uh he just he was tired. It was like seven thirty at night. He'd had way too much watermelon. <laughs> the sugar crash. The sugar crash came, yeah. and he just craw- he crawled right up in your lap, and he just fell asleep on uh, on your shoulder. And uh, yeah. it's just a beautiful image of like a different sort of legacy, and uh, it's really cool. So I was just like, I was moved even as you were, you know, as you were sharing that story about your absentee dad, just the different story you're telling with your own children, um, mm. with your own son, yeah. with your own son too. And so, right. um, and I think that there's so many stories like that around the church. I hear so many people say, I, I, I didn't have good parents. Uh, I had trauma in my own family of origin. I, I'm, I'm going to do something different. I'm committed to it with my wife, with my spouse, with my husband. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell a different story. And they're yeah. really trying really hard to write a different story, even when things don't work out or it's difficult. Some people say again and again, man. Uh, I feel like I'm I'm building the plane as I'm flying it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's yep. that's really challenging, but um, it's a really beautiful thing when a bunch of people get together and say we're gonna do something different, you know. We're gonna we're gonna leave a different legacy. Um, Jesus is yeah. gonna be at the center. We're gonna figure it out together. I'm gonna make a ton of mistakes. I'm gonna apologize for those. I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna grow. It's just cool. So anyway, yeah. it's neat being around. Yeah, I agree totally. I I think it's one of the real gifts about um being being the church you yeah. know being a part of the church uh you just you, you don't feel as alone in the challenges that are in front of you and uh yeah i mean this is very practical but for people listening the deeper you dive into the life of the church it sounds like i'm you know being a salesman here or something but i'm not it, it's true and ask anybody um who's experienced this and they'll tell you it's true the deeper 
and more committed you become to the life of a, a local church, uh, the more and more you feel uh, that sort of real-time support in, in a variety of ways, and the, the, more, the, the less you feel alone. And I think sometimes um, trying to live a wise life and make decisions that lead to a better story sometimes um you know knowing that your story is now wrapped up in a much larger story can also be sort of fuel that drives yeah. you you know to make those decisions whether it be just the accountability of it or or just you know the, the sheer excitement and joy of man I'm part of something bigger so the way I you know parent my kids or love my spouse or um bring joy in the workplace or uh, whatever it might be, just when you know that you're do- doing that as a part of something bigger, a larger community that's kind of doing that alongside you, um, I just think, you know, that that goes a long ways in keeping us sort of on track. So, uh, yeah, I would encourage folks to, to dive deeper into the life of the church, too. That's awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Jay. Thanks for talking Legacy, and uh, we'll see you next week. See ya. Just want to say thanks to Jay for stopping by. Join us next week where we'll dive into the third question of our Wise Life Sermon Series, which helps us be wise, and that's the question of conscience. Is there some tension in my conscience that I should be paying attention to? Often, our conscience is a way, uh, it's kind of like an alarm bell to get us to pay attention. We'll talk about what our conscience is and how we can pay attention to it Uh, especially because sometimes it's God trying to get our attention. We'll dive into that next week. So we'll see you then.